looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to about 20. Um, And I think this is a really great picture of who Jesus is. Um, So I'll just read that for you guys, and then, yeah, we'll get into it. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Great. So... Um, Christmas time, it's coming up, and I think that often at this time of the year, we're either planning the events that we're having or thinking about what presents we need to buy or um, what food we're going to eat, and then we come here and we start building our gingerbread houses, and then I get up here and you think, oh yeah, and Jesus too, we need to, we need to hear about Jesus, that's what Christmas is about, and, and that's what I'm here to tell you about. I'm here to tell you that Christmas is about Jesus, but I think that often we skim over that and we don't really have a very good idea of who Jesus is. I think um, that, yeah, we often have a basic understanding, and I teach scripture in um, primary and high school, and I get a lot of ideas about who people think Jesus is, and I honestly think that most of us might have those views as well. Um, Some of them might say, oh, he was a really good really nice guy who did lots of lovely things and he was a really good role model for us. Others might say that he was a prophet but there was nothing that special about him. Or others might say that it's a made-up story about a good guy just to inspire us and make us feel good. But even though these might be common beliefs, it's not what the Bible, or not who the Bible, sorry, says that Jesus is. Um, We have real proof and historical evidence um, about who Jesus was, that he was a real person, and historians and scientists all agree that he was, but they might disagree that Jesus had um, any deity, that he was God. Um, But I'm not here to talk about historical proof. I'm here to talk about Christ's supremacy and how he was God. I think it's a bit of an injustice to think of the story of Jesus as just a baby that was born into a major who who died for our sins. By doing this, we turn Christ into a bit of a children's story. We need to realize that in order to understand the weight of the embodiment of God in Christ, we need to understand who God and who Christ is. We want to be looking at the cross to see um, the magnificence of the sacrifice made there, But we can't do that without knowing who it was that went to the cross for us. So our passage today gives us a pretty good idea of who Jesus is. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So Jesus is a clear image of who God is. It can be really easy for people to deny the existence of God because we can't physically see him. It can be a bit disheartening sometimes. But we have clear history pertaining to the person of Jesus, a real historical person who was and is God. 
His character was a reflection of who God is in his entirety. It wasn't about physical appearance because God isn't a physical being. It was all about character and of reflection of who God was or is. And then it goes on to say that he's the firstborn over all creation. And this is something that might be a little bit confusing. It doesn't mean that he was the first created or born, as in like he was Mary's firstborn son. It's an expression used in those times to determine one's status. So he was an heir to the throne of God. And this doesn't mean that God will die and Jesus will inherit the kingdom then. What Paul is trying to say is that Jesus is supreme and the head over everything. And he was made to inherit every single thing that was made and unmade. And in verse 17, we see that everything made is actually made by him. When we read the story of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, the creation of the world, we get to see the beauty and glory of the creator right in front of us. The way that he only has to speak things into existence. This is Jesus doing that. The trees that are outside are only there because Jesus created them. The beaches and the mountains that we all enjoy are only there because Jesus created them. The oxygen we breathe in and the rain that falls from the sky only exists because Jesus formed every atom that makes them. Verse 17 also goes on to say that in him all things hold together. So not only does Jesus create all of these things, he also sustains them. So he didn't um, get bored of creating things and all of the things he's made and walk away and let it play out on its own. Instead, he keeps it going. The God who flung the stars into space keeps them from falling. The God who filled the seas with water is the God who causes the waves to break on the shores. He knows how many hairs are on your head and how many birds fall from the sky. From the smallest atom to the largest mammal, Jesus creates and he sustains them all. Imagine that for a day you held the destiny of the world in your hands. And imagine you held it moment by moment. The minutest details, everything. I feel like it would be absolutely overwhelming and chaotic and exhausting and it would just probably drive you to madness. We can barely get a grip on our own lives, let alone the whole universe. But now imagine all that, all that responsibility being put back into Christ's hands. See the power that flows out of him to constantly sustain everything. And then the wisdom that comes from him to know everything and direct everything. And this isn't the only difference between us and the creator of all things. He doesn't become exhausted by this. He doesn't become overwhelmed by his responsibilities and throw in the towel. He does it effortlessly, without strain. He doesn't need to pick up a self-help book to guide him through the process. He does it all without hesitation. An architect may build, let's say, a bridge, and when she is done building this bridge, she can walk away and it will still be standing. And when she dies, it will still be left as a monument to her. It's so easy for us to box God into that same category and to think that he made the world and left it as a monument to him. But there's a big difference between God and the architect. The architect uses already created materials to shape and build the bridge, materials that are already in existence. God, however, he is the source of the material. 
A good illustration of this I like is a scientist who says to God, oh God, we don't need you anymore. Um, we can do this all on our own. You can leave us now. We know how to make things. And so God says, okay, sure. Let's see how you do it. You make humanity, you make life and sustain it and I'll leave you alone. And so the scientist agrees and he picks up some dirt from the ground to go and make life. But God says, well, no, that dirt, that dirt's mine. I made that. We can work with the substances that we have and create from them, but we can't create anything from nothing. And if God was to take his sovereign hand away from all that he creates and sustains, it would all fall apart. No monument would be left standing. Now, if we look back a bit at verse 16, we really get a a good picture of who we are in comparison to Jesus. Verse 16 says, All things have been created through him and for him. So we've discussed the idea of everything being created through him, but we haven't really settled on the fact that everything has been made for him. And this can be a little bit uncomfortable for some of us. But you have been created for Jesus. Jesus has claim on us, and rightly so, because he created us and he continues to sustain us. Have you ever realized how much your next breath depends on the Son of God? The only reason we are breathing right now is because Jesus allows us to. Even the atheists who write books denying who Christ is do so with the hand that is only moving because Jesus allows it to move. The gingerbread house you're making right now is rightly yours. You've made it, you own it, and it's for you. This is the same with Jesus. Jesus has designed you intricately, and he is the one who allows you to take your next breath. So, therefore, Jesus has a claim on you. You are his. You are made for him. And you can say that you reject him or accept him or you sit on the fence, but you don't have a choice in the matter. You belong to Christ, and you ought to praise him for that fact. We often sit in misery, not understanding why why I might feel so lost, and a Christian might answer, well, you need Jesus. And although that's true, It does go so much deeper than that. It's that you're not living your life for the purpose you were made. It says you were made for Christ. You were made to honour and glorify him and to be pleased in him. And when we look at who he is in the grand scheme of the world, in the way we've just looked at creation, we can see that he is worthy of that honour and praise and he is beyond worthy of holding our purpose. So when we look at the world and when we think and we see how broken it is and we think, well, well, it's sin, that's what a Christian would say, we need to be thinking of how deep our sin actually runs. It's not just the little slip-ups here and there, the cuss word and the lie. It's the fact that every single step of humanity has been wrong. Everything has been designed through the sun and for the sun. And so if everything we do isn't for the sun the world goes bad. We live in a world where we seek to glorify the cravings of our own flesh, to please ourselves, to live for ourselves. And so no wonder our world goes to chaos. It's the opposite of what God intended. We worship the created rather than the creator himself. We can't be pretty good and we can't think, oh yeah, I've sinned a little bit, but not too much. 
No, because the full course of your life is sin because it's not headed towards the sun. Remember, this is the same God who commanded the mountains to rise and they obeyed, the valleys to go low and they obeyed, the oceans to come to a certain point and they obeyed. But when he asks us to come to him, we have the audacity to say no. And this is sin. This is what sin is. Um, Paul goes on as he's writing this letter to say, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And reconciliation is something that I think we glance over and accept so easily, but we need to realize the impact that reconciliation actually has on us and our relationship with God. So the opposite of reconciliation is to be at enmity with. It's to be estranged or alienated from. And that is what our sin does to us and to God. It completely separates us from him to the point where we can't do anything in our own power to fix this. But we aren't left like this. We needed someone to fix this. And we can see from the magnificence of the creator, his perfection and his holiness, that there is no way we could possibly do anything to make ourselves right with God. And this is why we needed a perfect sacrifice in our place. We needed a substitute who was pure and blameless. And this is where we needed Jesus' blood in our place. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Not only did he die an agonizing death on the cross, but he took the wrath, the anger that we deserve for our sin onto himself. And he took that so that when you stand before the throne of God, if you're a Christian, when God looks at you, instead of seeing a broken, sinful person, he sees the perfect Jesus instead. In his love and mercy and grace, Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who keeps you breathing, he chose to sacrifice himself on the cross so that you could be in a right relationship with God. And so now we have this image of who the son of God is, who Christ is, and we can see who he is in comparison to us. He's the creator and sustainer of all things, and we rely on him for our every breath. He could snap his fingers when he wants and we could stop. This could all go away but by grace, he keeps us going. So now we think, well, if this is who Jesus is, if this is how incredible he is, why in the world would he die for someone as tiny and as lowly as me? And the answer is powerful and full of hope. It's because of his great love, mercy, and grace. It is because he is the God of the universe and he is so, so good. The man who hung on the tree for your sin is the same God who created everything you see and everything you love in this world. His arms that were nailed to the cross are the same arms that hold up the universe now. So there's no denying the fact that the Bible claims that Jesus is the son of God, the creator of all, and the savior of all our sins. But how are you going to respond to this? If you were to stand before the throne of God right now, how would he see you? 
Would he see you as the broken, helpless, sinful being that you are? Or Or would he look at you and see Jesus' perfection instead? Do you regularly come before the cross in awe of the one who died on it for you? Do you sit in wonder and praise for the creator and sustainer of all things and the sacrifice that he made for you? Do you praise, honour and glorify him in everything you do? Remember, Jesus is most glorified by us when we are most satisfied in him. Are you living a life full of the purpose, the true purpose that God has given you? Do you live to do everything for the son of God? Um, let me pray. Um, Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are the creator of all, and we thank you um, for the way that you have made us and the way that you sustain us with every breath. And we ask that um, you would be changing our hearts to love you and to recognize you as this, um, to come before the cross and um, marvel in the wonder of that sacrifice for us. Please help us to always accept and remember this. Amen.